it used to be that phone companies were all ADSL. So, but now the phone companies are all fiber. So it's symmetric and faster. They, they call it fiber, nice. but it's not gigabit or anything like that, but it's at least symmetrical <laughs> up and down. <laughs> symmetrical already makes a huge difference. Yeah, because the cable companies now are, are back to sort of ADSL speeds where the coax cable can download pretty fast, but you can't upload or, you know, I found the difference before the pandemic started because we tested it just in the early days of the pandemic and it was like remoting into servers and doing, you know, IT stuff was a lot faster on the on the uh, self on the phone company i don't want to mention them by name because you know are they listening <laughs> in <laughs> uh no no but you know I don't, I don't love any of our telecommunications companies you know and i don't think anybody <laughs> loves any of their telecommunication companies it's all a racket hey i'm canadian it's our patriotic duty to love everything about our country including the utilities <laughs> sure yeah let's see we Taxpayers give give those companies money to build infrastructure, and then they charge you to use that infrastructure. Yeah, it's fair. So, I don't know. Yeah, what can I say? Our, our enlightened leftist government just gave a hundred bucks to all car drivers because the gas prices went up. I'm like, what about the bus what? riders? What about or the cyclists? Or, <laughs> right? I could use a hundred bucks to to buy bucks. fuel for my bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Gas prices are never going to make people stop driving. But this is not a driving podcast. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. So what we're supposed to be talking about is that my lovely co-host, JD, still has that picture as his background on Zoom there. What's going on? That's my favorite park <laughs> in the whole world. Uh, what park would that be? Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth Park Queen, is where Queen patriotic park, and, yeah. <laughs> and we love our royalty or something. I, I mean, speaking of fuel, I, I, I filled my e-bike up with, with fuel and it took all of uh, three quarters of a kilowatt. So I, I, I think I have a dime somewhere sitting around here to pay for nice, that. Nice, nice. Well, thanks for joining us today, uh, JD. Today we have an amazing guest. Felipe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me again and uh, looking forward to share whatever it is that you want me to talk about. Well, uh, as usual, we extensively plan these, uh, you know, better and more extensive than a drama. We have this scripted. Everybody knows we're lying. We don't script these things. But I did uh, notice uh, as, as uh, one of your millions of Twitter followers, I uh, noticed that um, you've made some uh, significant IT uh, changes and developments and you were um, working on some fun projects as usual. So I want to ask you more about how uh, things are going and why you made some of the big IT infrastructure changes you did. Well, you know, when you have too much time on your hand, oh. you start thinking too much about stuff. <laughs> and then you end up in this rabbit hole and uh, you're on the inverse world and, and suddenly you're like, what am I doing? What could I be doing? And that's how I got where I am now. And, and these projects that I have been doing lately is basically to take control over my data, first of all, I've, I've had um, storage servers for years 
they were always in my home. And uh, for, for the most part, my data is there on them, right? But then you back them up somewhere else. Normally, I would back up them on Google Drive because I had an unlimited subscription there, an unlimited storage subscription. But at some point, uh, I started feeling like I was sharing too much data outside of my own control, putting mu too much data on Google and on Microsoft and, and on Apple servers. Of course, I think nowadays you can't really escape sharing some content with any of these big companies, but everything that I could take control over, I did. But this is not even the beginning of this whole journey because the beginning of the journey was I live in, I live in Prague in Czech Republic. So European apartments, you don't really have a lot of room. You don't have a lot of rooms <laughs> in, your, in your apartment. So our living room slash kitchen corner <laughs> is also our office. And when you have two or three servers with several hard drives in each one of them running 24 hours a day, you have that constant going on in the background <laughs> all the time that at some point it disappears in your mind, right? But when I was going to sleep in my bedroom, there is no noise at all. So at some point, that noise started really, really bothering me. And, and, and the chassis of one of the, the, the servers that I have was starting to vibrate in a way that was making even more noise. I opened it, I tightened all of the, the screws, and it would still not solve the problem. And it started driving me crazy. And at some point, I, I started thinking, is it financially viable and even possible for me to get these servers that are not rack-based and put them in a data center? At that point, I had no idea of how much it would cost to put servers in a data center, or even if they would uh, have space to store these types of servers. And then at some point, I started Googling and getting in contact with several of them and found one 15 minutes away by car from where I live, <laughs> right in the city center. The prices were really not bad at all. I mean, several times what I'm what I pay for internet connection in my apartment. But considering that I would get rid of the noise, I would have the, the server is constantly on UPS. The, the, the room is, is fireproof in a way, right? If there is a fire inside, it immediately gets extinguished. The connection is super solid uh, within the country. I went for already gigabit connection up and down transit line as well, uh, 500 megabits up and down transit line. So that meaning uh, connecting to other countries at, at 500 megabits. And I said, okay, let me try getting a contract for six months and see if, if it will be okay for me. Because I was like, okay, I'm going to be very far away. I'm going to be sending this traffic through the internet. And... I don't know if it will be too slow for me. In the end of the day, it wasn't. Nice. In the end of the day, I'm not... Because at some point, a couple of years ago, I moved to, to have all of my projects that I'm currently working on on my internal SSD rate that I have on my Mac Pro. So I wasn't really reading the data from the server. I was backing up on the server. So... It didn't make any difference on the projects that I was editing and, and working on. So that's more or less how everything started. Nice. 
how much data do you have out there? Well, I have the main server is a server that can hold 110 terabytes. And then there are a couple of other servers uh, that are used for backup of, of the things that shouldn't be lost <laughs> on that server. It's still not an identical backup, but it, it backs up everything that's the most important, which is whatever files that I would be syncing, files that other people are syncing there, because I started offering this to friends and, fr and family as well. Yeah, so that that that's how big the the amount of storage is that I have. So you, you have time to work up to the three point four petabytes of uh, Snowflake level storage. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I heard I heard the episode, and 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 while they were talking, I was like, "What? That bill must be really expensive with three point four uh, <laughs> petabytes of data there." Yeah, they're doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, I couldn't comprehend, but yeah, maybe one day I get there, uh, and. Hopefully so. So one of the uh, uh, reasons for your uh, late night nightmares was noise and trying to get your equipment out of your office. But another inspiration was uh, some changes with Google, right? With our Google uh, business plan. Right. Uh, they are changing. They have been constantly changing their, their terms of service and how their plans are working. And I started getting a lot of emails in the past few months saying that I would have to change the, the plan that I was on. That is a plan from 10 years ago. And it, it is not even very clear to know if I would be able to keep my unlimited storage or not. And I had over 50 terabytes of, uh, of things up there on, on Google. So this was another, another reason. Um, but right now, I have absolutely zero info on Google. Whoa. I don't have any photos there. I don't have any data on Google Drive. My email is not routed through, is not being kept or, or, or using the Google email servers. That's something that I am also serving myself. That is the trickiest part of all. It is scary. It's data, terabytes of data up there. Fine, that's, that's easy. Now, email, <laughs> that, that was scary. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you're giving me nightmares. I used to run a, a mail server for a, a VFX company and, you know, on macOS server, macOS 10 server, <laughs> you know, wow. and I spent a lot of time with Postfix and uh, spam filters and uh, a lot of sleepless nights. And, you know, if the business didn't get email, that was a nightmare. If the server got hacked or oh, we never got hacked, um, if, you know, things happened, you know, then. Yeah, yeah. But, there, but there are people constantly trying to, to spoof your email, right? So try to use your, your domain to send spam email everywhere. Uh, and I spent a couple, of, a couple of days in the beginning uh, making sure that I, I had everything, the DKIM, uh, signature, SPF, and a bunch of other things configured there, uh, set up the reverse DNS with the data center. And then once I got all of that, finally, I could actually send emails to gmail.com because that's kind of where I discovered that I needed to do a little bit more work with my email server was when I started trying to send emails to Gmail and I was like, ah, oh, we can't accept your email. It seems like an unrequested email or something. Yeah. So we are blocking your email to, to avoid spam. I was like, okay, how do I fix that? And then... In the end, you, you read a lot and, and, and then you fix it. And 
but I keep an eye on the logs every, every hour or so. I take a look at the logs and see what's happening there. The mail server that I'm using is, is, is pretty good. Uh, I have set rules that if you try your password five times wrong within six hours, it blocks your IP address completely. So any, any attempt of brute force within five tries, it's, it's blocked. And, and that goes for anything on the server. Nice. So you traded a, a noisy server for noisy logs that you have to, to worry about. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I, 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 think, I think that's okay. You know, it, it's two minutes every hour that, that I'm looking at logs. And right now I have a room that's completely silent. I have two computers switched on at the same time. A MacBook Pro with M1 Max and a Mac Pro and absolutely no noise at all. Uh, <laughs> so I'm very happy right now. Well, you're a very courageous individual and you've tested your reading skills and uh, you've proven to be a good reader and, you, and a good learner. <laughs> you're always learning and uh, doing cool things, uh, Felipe, and I appreciate you uh, sharing your adventures on Twitter uh, as usual. Um, it helps. We, we, can, we can applaud from afar. Yeah, I think maybe one day I will probably try to write a few articles about how the journey went, why I did it, basically this information that we are talking about here, but also maybe sharing with people what were the, the challenges that I faced. And actually, one of the articles, the, the I already have the title, is like, Private Cloud, the correct decision or the right decision, but not for everyone. Yeah. And, and if you have the skills, obviously, if you have the time, if you have the patience, and if you have the money, because also that, that is a very expensive endeavor, because it's easy to just pay $12 a, a month to, to Apple or Google or, or Microsoft and know that your data is up there, it's backed up, and most, most of the time you're not going to lose anything and you, you have access whenever you want. Another one is to spend thousands and thousands of dollars at once to be able to have almost the same capabilities. But I've noticed that, at least amongst my friends, there are a lot of people that have the same desire of not be putting too much information on those big companies. So that's where I end up saying, okay, maybe I have a business opportunity here. I'm running the servers, I, I'm, I'm paying the bills in the data center, the connection is great. Uh, maybe I can share that with, with some friends. Let me take a look at uh, what are the capacity that I have on the server, how much it costs me a, a year to, to run the server in terms of uh, hardware prices and bills and so on. And I found out that it is an extremely profitable business. No wonder. Google and all of these companies are doing that. When I ran the numbers, I, I couldn't believe myself. It's just absurd. But obviously, I'm not going to try to compete with Google, Microsoft, <laughs> and so on. I, I think for me, it's like more family, friends, and extended friends, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it small uh, for now. And oh, definitely. See uh, can... My plan is to have net zero. Uh, that in the end of the day, the amount of people using are basically covering the costs of the hardware and the data center bills. That's it. So in your uh, 
insane attempts to become your own uh, cloud. How are you managing uh, certain things like hardware failures or reliability? Uh, I mean, as a, as a longtime XN snob, which is already kind of like junior enterprise admin when people would look at me and with my Apple XN stuff and my my mini store next but you know when i looked at uh, synology originally i was just laughing at how silly that is um and over the years i've grown to appreciate how well uh qnap and synology have, have done you know both for different reasons qnap's always had really interesting hardware like thunderbolt ethernet and uh, lots of other things uh, and then synology's slightly caught up but they both have very interesting software and for small business and small uh, offices definitely they're replacing the mac minis and the os10 servers because there is no more os10 server but whenever people would ask me about them, I'd always say, yeah, if it's cheap-ish, but buy two or three or four. Or well, <laughs> If you're inventing your own cloud, uh, how many, uh, <laughs> you don't have to tell us, but I'm sure you've thought about, you know, your hard, now you're in charge of the hardware. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have plans of expansion, first of all, because expansion will need to happen at some point and redundancies and, and so on. But first of all, since you, you mentioned the, the other vendors, I was using both QNAP and Synology. And the first thing that I, it came to my mind is like, okay, which one of them will I go for? And the answer was very clear from the beginning, but I still tried to, to look for alternatives for, for the other one. And basically, in the end of the day, uh, my conclusion was QNAP is excellent for SMB, AFP, NFS shares locally. Nothing else other than that in terms of, of uh, file access. Their applications are horrible. Uh, the user interface of their applications are horrible. Uh, the, the application they have for syncing files with the computer is called QSync. Works well, but it's just horrific. I, I couldn't imagine telling someone to install that application and say that's how you're going to share your files with, with, with the cloud. No, no, not at all. But they have great hardware. Uh, they put powerful CPUs there. They, you, you can add a lot of memory. You have extra PCI Express uh, slots. It is, in general, a bigger case with, with more space for things in general. But on the other hand, technology doesn't have as powerful hardware. They don't put as powerful CPUs in it. They used to not give you the option of having and gigabit Ethernet and M.2 SSD caching at the same time. You had to choose either one or the other, but now their, their units are coming with both of them or having that, that option at least. But on top of that, what Synology does really well, even though they're kind of slow, is software. Their software is good. It's still missing updates here and there. For example, native support for M1 to not be running on Rosetta for a couple of applications, but they have done a few promises and it should be there at some point this year. But yeah, they, they have great applications for syncing with, with the computer, the files, to access them on the web, to create drop of links so people can just upload to a folder without seeing the contents of that folder and, and, and things like that. And the way I'm doing with backups and availability and so on right now is by using uh, multiple servers. And they are not using the, the high availability option that Synology offers yet, 
but if one of them fails, in a couple of minutes I can have the other one running. It has uh, an identical copy of the, the, the important stuff, which is the, the, the part that people are syncing to their computers. It doesn't have, for example, a, a, an identical copy of my projects that I'm working on personally. That one goes to a different backup that is not in the same, not in the service that I control, but is in the service from Synology. Synology offers this C2 storage C2 backup that is encrypted at rest and, and encrypted on the way. So I'm using that. So if, if the server would, would die right now, everyone that's using it would still have access to, to that data. I would have access to the same data that would be normally on my iCloud. But for my projects, that would take a little longer for, for it to, to be restored. But that's for now. As soon as there are more people using, then more servers and then high availability and more load balancing and potentially even having servers on a different data center in a different country. That's, that's, that's where I'm going at. Synology has definitely uh, made a lot of improvements over the years. I mean, uh, when I finally stopped being so uh, Fiber Channel XN arrogant, which I still think Fiber Channel and XN is awesome, but... That's great. Uh, well, yeah, Fiber I, Channel plus N NVMe ooh, on a server? Wow. Nice, yeah. I, yeah, I want to get there one day. It's Synology. I mean, amongst one of the other changes they made is they changed their um, their storage management to... Um, uh, they have SAN management. iSCSI manager is now a SAN manager. So you could uh, basically turn your Synology into some LUNs for a fiber channel SAN. So hmm, ah, it all comes back to XN or StoreX. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say that they've made a lot of uh, improvements. Uh, I've been managing a lot more Synologies myself for small business clients. And, uh, and uh, they had that central management system where you could register and basically monitor multiple Synologies very easily. So are you using the CMS or are you using Active Insight? Because uh, I, I gonna... started moving to Active Insight, I like it a lot. And one thing that JD mentioned the other day, he was like, oh, I wish something, I think it was on a monkey, would create tickets automatically. Mm. Uh, and that's what I like on Active Insight, because in a way, it's not creating the ticket, but it creates a to-do list for you in a way, because for you to get rid of those alerts, you really have to dig into them, mm -hmm. click them, and mark as resolved. So I like that on the active insight. I was going to say that uh, yeah, when I discovered central management system, it was like, oh, this is really nice. And then they came out with the insight, so active insight. So then I was like, they're definitely with C2, their cloud and their active insight. They're really moving into, I don't know, if, if taking over other people's monitoring business is the right word to say. But basically, they're, they're recognizing that people have to manage more than one server or storage unit. And, and uh, definitely, they're making progress. I, I really like what I'm, I'm seeing. Uh, it, yeah. help, it helps make I, it easy. Easier. I am seeing Synology having an interesting future because they are, uh, if, if you look at their past two years of the things that they have been introducing in the past two years, they are really going after uh, a, a more professional market, I would say. Uh, they're going away from this home slash small business type of client, and they're going for, for bigger ones that need to manage multiple more powerful servers that need to be really online uh 24 7. yeah i mean and i didn't know there was like rack that. mounted servers in the beginning and now i've got clients with rack mounted synologies that are acting as my 
nearline archives. I mean, you could use them as primary storage as well. But you know, I I, I love I love the fact that you can snapshot easily uh, between you know do backups and and sync between them. And yeah, right now I I don't have the rack ones, but the next ones, whatever server I buy next, will definitely be a rack one. So then I go for two PSUs, but then then the the server be, becomes a little bit more expensive because mm. these these small tower ones they are they are very power efficient. Mm-hmm. I had the QNAP and a Synology, a small Synology in the data center, and then one day I, I I text them and say, hey, I'm gonna replace the QNAP. I'm gonna put a Synology in place, and every time that you do that, you, they have to measure again the power consumption, and my bill went down. Because oh, wow. because the QNAP was like super power hungry and 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 the Synology is not the Synology was consuming like forty watts uh, with eight disks and then I added a Mac Mini on top of it since they were like oh we're gonna drop the price I'm like hmm, maybe you don't have to let me <laughs> add another thing on top of it and then I put a, a, an M1 Mac Mini on top of it because the idea being. Well, instead of running something, some stuff that I would run on Docker, on Docker, uh, on the Synology, I can run on the Mac Mini and offload some of those things. So right now I'm still figuring out what are the things that I want the Mac Mini doing right next to the Synology. But yeah, it's, it's growing that way. And if, if one day I have an editor that needs to edit remotely, I have a Mac Mini that it can edit from. Yeah, I wonder what the uh, the cumulative power savings are going to be from M1s. I mean, I know from my uh, brief use of an M1 uh, a MacBook Pro 13-inch that the, the battery life is insane. I mean, literally, you could work on that thing for days. I also found that it was easily pegged with like, you know, 30 tabs open to Stack Overflow because I'm looking for answers to how to program certain things, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, there was a there was a, a, a RAM ceiling which I'm gonna see uh, you know I'm sure you've run into uh, maybe um, but uh, yeah I mean the power savings on the M1 has got to be interesting for for uh, for hosting hosting your own private cloud or for hosting providers for yeah and having a Mac Mini was actually one of the things that allowed me to I don't know if you ever heard of this company LucidLink mm-hmm. they <laughs> they have object storage that you can mount on a computer. And you can use as if it would be local storage. Uh, and they do that by caching the blocks of data that you're accessing at that moment. But the problem with LucidLink is a lot of people are using it for editing because it's really good with that task. But the problem is once you need to collaborate with someone that's not part of your team, let's say there's a shooter and that person has a terabyte of footage that they need to upload, you need to create an account for them. They have to install the software. And they need to have a SSD with, with a good amount of space available so they, it caches there while it's uploading and so on and so forth. So that's kind of com- complicated, convoluted for, for a lot of people. Mm, Kext approval, uh, MacFuse, uh, how do you install this thing? How do you approve it? Yeah. You have to reduce and the security of your M1. Exactly. <laughs> Reducing the security in order for you to, to run those, those kernel extensions is already like a no no for a lot of people. So, what I've done is that I mount a Lucid Link file space on this Mac Mini, and I may and I'm able to make that available through the web interface of of my Synology drive, and and then basically what you have is a link that someone can upload and not see the content that's in that folder, and they upload through the web, 
like they would do with Google Drive and Dropbox and so on, but it goes directly to the LucidLink file space. And because everything is in the cloud, it goes as fast as that person can upload. It's very rare that someone can upload as, as faster than a gigabit. So it's good most of the time. So you've discovered uh, some of the bills that you have to pay. So power, um, I suppose, how much room you're taking up, whether it's one U or a rack or a shelf, or a, I'm, I'm yeah, sure they're charging uh, you for a bit of space. Or Yes, they, they take everything in consideration, but the main things are space, power, and the link that you, that you want to have. Because you can have a link of 100 megabits only. Maybe it's yeah. just a... Uh, uh, database that you're storing there or something like this. Uh, one of the biggest advantages in having the data center instead of, let's say, let's say that you have a gigabit at home, okay? There is a difference between the one gigabit at home and the one gigabit in the data center. The, the signal path that you're going to have between the third party and your home will have a lot more hops than that third party, that third party and the data center. So the latency will be lower. The, the speed of access will be faster and there is more guarantee that you're going to be able to, to, to reach the speed that, that that person can access. Now, I've discovered by having my, my server in, the, in a European data center how different ISPs in the United States have been treating their transit line, that, that, that line really outside their state, their city, uh, to the broader internet. And it's pretty awful. Some of them... Uh, they say, hey, you have a gigabit of internet connection, but as soon as you're trying to access a server in Europe, you're limited to 100 megabits, maybe even less. Wow. So not all ISPs are giving the same service. Sometimes you get that one gigabit for servers that are really within your state. Uh, so then big competitors like Google and Wasabi and AWS and so on, they have servers literally everywhere then they're going to have a, an upper hand there. but Except for, you know, companies like AWS and others charge you a huge amount of fees just to move stuff between their data centers too. So yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe we can uh, shift to another thing that you're an expert on and you probably have some experience is this new M1 uh, laptop you have and you also have a Mac Pro, the Intel 2019. How has that been? What, what can you tell us? Um... Well, first of all, the Mac Pro, I've had it now for, I think nearly two years that computer is a hundred percent solid okay it is just a solid machine and not only in terms of how much it weights it's really it's it weighs, really heavy weighs a lot <laughs> it's not a very portable computer but you know every time that new computers are coming out i'm still looking at it and saying are you still worth keeping and even with the Mac Studio that just came out, it is worth. Although it has the same amount of, uh, of Thunderbolt buses, I don't have a lot of docks hanging from my, from my Mac Pro. It has 12 Thunderbolt connections. Wow. Two HDMIs and uh, another two USB-A. Nice. So I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm getting rid of my Mac Pro anytime soon. Plus I have a NVMe RAID on a PCI Express inside the computer as well. So I have 16 terabytes of internal storage that I can use that's absolutely super silent. Hardware is nice, but it's always up to the software, right? So have you found any right, uh, right. troublesome software? I remember a certain episode during Mac DevOps where your Mac Pro uh, <laughs> uh, crashed <laughs> during oh, some, some so, audio, audio routes. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so what was happening there? I was using Dante for, for audio, which is audio over network. And at that time, I had a single VLAN 
just network at home and several devices and Dante Audio really floods the network. And at some point, if, if you have mixed traffic going on there, it happened what happened. It, it, it basically took my, my network down. Since then, I also upgraded my, my router. So I have a unified Dream Machine Pro and I have VLANs for everything. I have VLANs for the computers. I have VLANs for IoT, VLAN for Dante for the audio stuff. I have VLAN for NDI. So everything is in separate VLANs. And since then, it has been so much better. But when, when, when it crashed, it was the network, not the computer. So the computer was still fine. It was just the network. So over the months, also, I upgraded. So now I have a, a, a small baby rack sitting under my desk uh, right next to the Mac Pro. And I was super worried. Will this router make a lot of noise? Because I have a, a, <laughs> a, a, this router and then I have a, an edge switch, a 24-port edge switch underneath it. I was like, oh, I hope these things are not going to make noise. And for the most part, they don't make a single... Took, you took all the storage time. out, then you put all this like networking yeah. equipment. <laughs> <laughs> then comes M1 Max, right? The, the MacBook Pros. And I got it. I needed a, a, a portable laptop that would be as powerful as possible. So if I would be remote anywhere, I could still do what I'm used to do with the Mac Pro. And it does. The M1 Max, the, I have the 14-inch the MacBook Pro, does basically everything that the Mac Pro does. So it works with Final Cut? Final Cut, Zoom. Okay, when, I, when, I, when I'm doing a live production, I have on the Mac Pro, I have more or less six instances of Zoom running at the same time, each one with a different source of video that's being sent to, 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 to the audience because normally they're in different rooms. So there's a green room, a director's room, a, a stage. So I have several instances of Zoom running so I can route and feed stuff uh, into each of the, of the rooms and monitor all the rooms at the same time. And then I have Audio Hijack running at the very least 30 different routes. <laughs> audio here, audio there. And, and when I have, when I'm monitoring, I, ha I put comms on one ear and I put program on a different ear. So whenever someone says something, I know exactly where it's coming from. So if suddenly I'm hearing something that's not supposed to go to program into the year of program, I know that there's a problem. Never happened, but that's how I would know uh, that's going to program that way. So you do a lot of live production, so you have a lot of software for live production. And have you tried any editing on the M1 Max? Or? Oh, yes. Uh, it just flies. Just choose through waveforms and thumbnails and... Uh, a lot of people keep on comparing computers on, on the export time, but the export is literally the, the last 10 minutes of, of your whole day editing something. So I like to compare what is the experience during the whole day of editing something. And the experience with the M1 Max, it, it truly is fantastic. Even if you put there Red Raw 8K to playback, it plays back like, like if it would be 1080p H264. Or 1080p ProRes, you know, it, it plays really well so long as you don't completely overload. There are people that start stacking a lot of things at the same time. I'm not, I don't normally add it that way. It, it, it's, it's a great computer. Doesn't last as long as the M1 in terms of battery, but still 
if I if I go out to a Starbucks and say, oh, I'm going to be working on my website or I'm going to be monitoring my servers and, uh, and doing the things that I normally do on a day-to-day, I will spend four hours on Starbucks and it's going to be a hundred from 100% battery to 85% battery. And meanwhile, I'm seeing everyone else around with HP computers. They're all plugged in on the wall. <laughs> if they unplug and stay out for like half an hour, their computer's running out of juice. And there I am. The other thing that I've noticed also with, with this M1, M1 Max computers is that everyone else around is also using their, their monitor very dim if they are on battery to save power. And I'm running like 50% brightness and I think it's like super bright and the battery is there just holding. And I'm thinking, how in the world are they doing that? I just don't know how, but it's just happening. And I love being able to work during the whole day out and not even reaching 50% battery. But plugging in the laptop is so nice. It's MagSafe 3. It's MagSafe. It's magnetic. I like it. it's click, click. I like it. I like, I like that we got MagSafe without, the, um, without sacrificing a Thunderbolt connection. I guess there's one fewer. There's three, but we there have... There is one fewer, but then in that one, you did exchange HDMI and SD card. Yeah. I... It's a good bargain. I have mixed feelings about the, the, the HDMI. I would prefer probably another Thunderbolt instead of the HDMI because with the Thunderbolt, I can also do HDMI. With the HDMI, I can only do HDMI. And I have cables that are... USB-C to HDMI, so I wouldn't need an adapter or anything like that. So I would have preferred a Thunderbolt there, but but we we did get an upgrade. All of the Thunderbolts are individual buses, right? Each port is is its own bus, so it's not shared with the with with the second port like nice. it was with the previous computers. They had four Thunderbolts, but there were only two buses. Now we have three Thunderbolts, but three buses. Nice. I, one thing I did notice with the, the new Mac Studio was that on the Ultra version, there was extra Thunderbolt 4 ports on the front, but with the Macs, yeah. it's your USB-C on it the It doubles front. everything, right? You went from yeah. three Thunderbolts to six Thunderbolts. Uh, so then a friend of mine started asking me, are you going to replace your Mac Pro? <laughs> with a and, studio. And my first reaction was like, no, I still have a super high-performing computer that one, I can upgrade the CPU. I have a 16 core. I can at some point go to up to 28 core. Two, I run a lot of things at the same time and I run virtual machines. I, I, I play with Docker and so on and so forth. I can expand this all the way to 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really attractive. Uh, yeah. and, and that's gonna be difficult to replace anytime soon. Third, I have 16 terabytes of internal NVMe storage, even if I max out in Mac Studio, only has only goes up to eight terabytes. So I would still be needing another eight terabytes just to match what I currently have on a Mac Pro, and that would need to be external. You just use a Thunderbolt cable. You just like plug one and studio start, into another yeah. studio. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fourth is the quantity of of I/O connections that that the studio has. It has half of what the Mac Pro has. In terms of power, I wouldn't be worried about it. If it would be just about the power that I have right now, for the power that Mac Studio could give me, yes. But then 
give another couple of weeks and I start thinking differently. I start thinking about how much power my Mac Pro consumes hmm. because it has that 1.4 kilowatt PSU there. It's running two GPUs, a power-hungry Xeon CPU, uh, a lot of things connected to it. That NVMe PCI Express RAID probably doesn't consume a lot, but it, it, it's probably around... Uh, I actually could take a look at the UPS. My 1500 watts UPS can run for about 15 minutes with the Mac Pro. So I think my Mac Pro is probably there consuming at least 500 watts hour uh, without any monitors meanwhile the mac studio would be at around 40 to 50 under load so that's one thing that makes me consider having the mac studio and and trying to find workaround for the amount of ports and the storage and if i would get it it would be maxed out just comes down to if you Love your planet or not, you know, got to save, conserve energy. Well, I think this is the replacement, though, for the 5K iMac Pro. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. So for those, I mean, this is for the folks that are going to be, you know, working on not running their entire operation like you are off of off of it. They're they are editing clips. They're doing specific tasks that, that they need that power, but not quite the power of, of the Mac Pro. So. Yeah. I think they hinted at something else is coming for your Mac Pro replacement. So that will be quite interesting. Uh, my biggest question there is how will be the situation with PCI Express cards? Uh, hoping they don't invent a new port that only works on the Mac Pro, a new slot that only works on the Mac Pro. Hope it will have PCI Express. Uh, in, in my mind, they would use the same form factor as the current Mac Pro and offer basically what we already have. Six or eight PCI Express slots and a CPU that has integrated GPU, meaning that you free up, in my case here, it would free up four PCI Express uh, <laughs> slots because I have a dual GPU and each one of them occupies two slots. If they go that direction, if the rumors of Duo and one Ultra style, so, doubling what we have right now on the Mac Studio, going up to 256 gigabytes of RAM and 12 buses of Thunderbolt and so on. Eh, could be a nice, nice upgrade, but it would be so much power that not even those using the Mac Pro right now would be difficult to justify buying that computer. I don't know. You don't need justification to buy a computer. If you want to buy it, you have the money and you can claim the expenses, you're going to go ahead and you're going to spend that money, pretty sure. <laughs> That's just irresponsible. We're buying computers to solve problems, not because they're toys. Come on. I mean, maybe. Well, the, pro the computer came to resolve problems that we didn't know existed. My question is, will the wheels work on the new machines? <laughs> <laughs> will they yeah. be cheaper? I mean, I think the Mac Pro, I mean, I never, uh, I seen, I seen the Mac Cupertino and the, you know, the XDR display is all super nice, but I, f I found that the iMac Pro that came out was just like so good that so all the pros that I know just got iMac Pros and, you know, it was just such a great power for the price, you know. You know, the Mac Pro, you were, you get silence, first of all, with it, mm -hmm. but in exchange 
for the silence because nothing is perfect, right? You're always exchanging things. In exchange for the silence, you're getting really hot air coming out of it mm. from the back of it. Right here in my living room, I do not turn on the radiators. <laughs> it's all, all the whole heating in the room is coming from the Mac Pro <laughs> and the displays here. So I'm being kind of conscious about <laughs> saving the planet. <laughs> Such an excuse, right? Uh, but really, there are days that my feet are cold. I just put them behind the Mac Pro and <laughs> they get comfy very, very quickly. Awesome. Awesome. It serves a dual purpose, uh, getting your work done and heating your cold little toes. Um, no kidding. <laughs> well, this has definitely been an eye-opening uh, Adventure Time story with uh, Felipe about how to build your own cloud. If you could go back in time, would you tell uh, yesterday's Felipe that this is a good idea? I would have told that past Felipe 10 years ago <laughs> to do that. <laughs> No, seriously, I would have told that Felipe from 15 years ago to also say yes to joining that mining pool for Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I, I, and yeah. that Felipe got invited for a, a mining pool of Bitcoin back in 2008. Wow. Imagine that, the lack of vision that I, I regret. Old past selves wouldn't believe that Apple is the Apple of today, like with the, the TV shows uh, that Apple, you know, Apple TV Plus is putting out. I mean, the, the new Apple has changed in a lot of ways. Thank you so much for joining us from across the world in uh, the Czech Republic, Felipe. It's always a pleasure. Can't wait to uh, see what we're cooking up for Mac DevOps uh, as you're uh, the brain of our live production. Super, super awesomeness. Thank you for having me. And I'm Certainly looking forward to the event this year. And from what I've heard, there are more talks than we have time to, <laughs> to always, broadcast. Now. Always. <laughs> um, yeah, I found a few more in my inbox. Uh, Got to work on that mail sorting rule. Uh, uh, yeah, quick talks always accepted. Yeah, my, yeah, I know. Um, it's going to be awesome. We got so many cool uh, talks. So maybe about. I can say this to everyone that will have a talk during this year's MDO YVR. Please, let's try to record them in advance with me mm -hmm. so we can have all of that nicely ready for the audience. Uh, last year was really a blast. It was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, there were some very amazing presenters that... Uh, and the funny thing was, I was saying, I was telling Matt, hey, I think we should have the presenters appearing on camera. Because it's really nice to have that connection with everyone. No, no, no. Everyone's just going to share the presentations and it's going to be audio only. So I talked to the first presenter and they're like, it was the a keynote. She Emily, uh, did Emily the Freeman. DevOps Emily. for Dummies. Yeah, yeah, Emily. And she had a, a great camera setup. Oh, and, she's a and, pro. And, and she was ready for, for being on camera. I was like, oh, that's great. It's exactly what I wanted. Let's do on camera. And then the next speaker came, came and they're like, oh, we're doing camera. I said, yeah, the last, that last presenter was on camera and it was absolutely great. And then almost every single, I think every single presenter switched on oh, their yeah. camera oh, and yeah. it was beautiful. I loved it. And I hoping, I'm hoping that this year we're going to have, uh, at the very least, the same. 
the energy of Mac DevOps comes from uh, from uh, you know the, an unscripted place. But uh, thanks to Felipe and JD, uh, you know we do a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure the production is definitely uh, you know set up right, practiced, and prepped. But uh, yeah, I think last year I was like, nah, I think everyone's tired. Nobody wants to show their camera. And then, you know, let's just make it simple. And then you're like, no, let's put people's faces up. And then everybody loved it. So I, I trust you, Felipe. But. Yeah. And a, a lot of presenters that were really well prepared. I mean, one of them had even an ATEM and green screen and they were keen. <laughs> and they, they were keen their keynote behind themselves. And I was like, okay, you've done all the work oh, for me. Uh, okay. Thank you for sending me the feed already with you and your keynote there. Uh, marvelous. That makes me think of one more thing. I was asking Ashton, uh, and I think we're going to try and plan a little session that she can offer for our Mac DevOps speakers and everyone else that's giving talks just to give a session on how to give a good talk. But we should definitely get some of your uh, your helpful tips uh, for our presenters as well. Like what helps people present well and better? And you know, maybe you can talk to us and give us some tips for the technical side as well as maybe... Uh... Well, there is a 30-second one. You have okay. to think about your audience, right? Uh, what makes uh, the audience experience be good? First of all, audio. They have to be able to hear you well, loud and clear, without reverb, without echo, without noise. So the very first thing is a microphone that is as close to you as possible. Second one is if you're, we're going to see you, let's try not to see you from below your nose, from above your head. Let's try to have a eye-to-eye -eye conversation between you and your camera. And uh, with that, we go into being well lit. And besides that, it's just having good content. Well, we got that. We got that. So audio, video, light. Wow. To the basic elements. Thank you so much, Felipe. You are fire. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, JD. And uh, I guess I see all of you guys in a couple of months. Yeah. So how do people find you on the uh, internet, Felipe, if they want to engage your awesome live production editing uh, genius services? They can find me on LinkedIn, Felipe Baez, F-E-L-I-P-E-B-A-E-Z. They can find me also on Twitter, Baez Felipe, B so the other way around, right? B-A-E-Z, F-E-L-I-P-E. Oh, I have also my website that's on probably my Twitter, creativebeast.com. And that's it. I'm always open to, to have conversations on Twitter and engage on discussions there. And uh, if you want to get in touch, just send me a DM. And money. Hire this man. You'll never regret it. You can it. send me your money too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I accept awesome. credit cards and the wire transfers, ACH, whatever you can send. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Felipe. Thank you so much. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers in IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. For the 2022 Mac DevOps conference, we would like to thank Kanji, our platinum sponsor. Thank you, Kanji. Visit them at kanji.io. Our gold sponsor is Simple MDM. Thank you, Simple MDM. Visit them at simplemdm.com. And thank you to our live stream sponsor, Mac Stadium. Visit them at macstadium.com. Also, thank you our graphics recording sponsor, Fleet DM. Visit them at fleetdm.com. Please take a moment to visit our sponsors. We could not hold Mac DevOps YVR without the support of our sponsors. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Wow, that's oh my a God, wrap. it's going to be so much work for JD to edit that. Always. Matt unscripted. <laughs> Matt unscripted. A nightmare for someone else. Yes. <laughs>